You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. And this is episode 96 of the Pimp Cron Warhammer Podcast. We are rapidly approaching the two-year mark, and I'm very pleased to be bringing this to your ears every single Monday morning at 3 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. And I appreciate all of our Patreon subscribers, and thank you for supporting the show and listening to it. So, what are we talking about tonight? Well, tonight's a little bit different of an episode. Um, we do have a Tesseract mailbox, as usual, and our our buddy Andrew writes in and asks if I am a clairvoyant robot, and uh, there's several reasons for that. You just gotta listen to that segment. And then we have Beastman joining me for coverage of the all of the melee upgrades and all of the fast upgrades for the new Brutality hardback rulebook, the 102-page full color, fully illustrated rulebook. And uh, I am just in love with this. I've been playing solo games with the new edition. Uh, it's not officially out for sale at the time of this recording, but uh, I'm, I'm lining up a bunch of YouTube reviews and things like that. I'm going to be writing an article on Belvoir Souls. The website's pretty much completely done um, and uh, stuff like that. So we're we are in the very, very final weeks. It'll definitely be by the end of June that we are done with that. So what did I do this week as far as hobbying? Well, I played some Star Trek Brutality, uh, solo gaming, and I have, uh, like I've said before, I'm a huge Star Trek fan, and I used to go nuts for the Star Trek Tactics Heroclix. I have all of the Breen, Federation, Romulan, Klingon, Cardassian, uh, what else? The Borg, uh, Vulcan, Kazon... I just have almost all the ships for everything. Uh, Federation, if I didn't say it. And um, so I have about... I've had for several years a Star Trek Heroclix campaign going on. A solo campaign. And uh, I decided for the first time ever, I was like, you know, I'm going to apply this to Brutality. I'm going to apply Brutality to this instead of Heroclix. And I was <laughs> I was delightfully surprised with how easily it converted. Um, with just a couple few little tweaks... Uh, brutality rules turned out awesome for Star Trek uh, ships, even though it's on a large scale and brutality is a skirmish. This is essentially a skirmish ship game, and uh, it was a lot of fun. The Federation beat the Klingons uh, 11 to 8, I think it was, after trailing the entire game. So they were finally able to pull that out at the last minute, which is pretty cool. And um, so I've been enjoying that, and now that I learned I can do that, I'm like, oh, well, wow. So I've been playing tons of Star Trek brutality games and in addition to that i played my buddy derek in age of sigmar this week he played his night haunt for the first time ever and i played my caradron overlords for the first time ever since the new book and i have to tell you that i am 100 percent in love with caradron overlords as the new codex makes them they are awesome i took one ironclad one frigate three grunstock gun haulers and then an HQ and five uh, Grunstock Thunderers. So my 1,500-point list was five ships, five dudes, and a leader. That was it for 1,500 points. And I assumed I would have a hard time with objectives, especially against his 60 Chain Rasps. But that really wasn't the case. Uh, we had a really close game. Uh, I don't remember exactly what the score was. I think I won by a couple points, or I would have won. But uh, I was slowly um, whittling away at him, and I had only lost, what, two two ships or one ship is all I had lost. So I was doing pretty well, and um, I'm surprised at how well, no, no, I'm delighted at how durable the ships are now. And I can finally field that fleet of ships that I wanted to a year ago when I started Caradron and was horribly disappointed by the last Codex in the fact that the ships were just a liability. They had no purpose whatsoever. Now they are beautiful and my Grunstock gun haulers are battle line and all is well with the world. 
At this juncture, I think I'm going to stop talking because this is a little bit of a long episode to begin with. So let's get on with it and uh, we will enjoy the coverage of the new Brutality rulebook. And I hope even if you don't play Brutality and you're just a Warhammer player listening to this podcast, this has been my baby. I've been working on it for four years and I think you'll be surprised at how professional it is just from a one-man operation. And uh, I have all the rights to all the pictures, the legal rights to them, and all of that. Uh, I certainly did not paint all these amazing pictures. But um, anyway, I hope hope you enjoy it, and I hope you are have your interest peaked in it, because this is absolutely my dream to... This is actually a lifelong dream, and that is not at all an understatement. A lifelong dream to publish my own full game, miniatures game, skirmish game, and uh, I've published some board games in the past, but I've never published a game of this magnitude, 102 pages of rules, uh, 16 different missions. Uh, I was trying to do the math the other day about the exact combinations between all the upgrades and the faction abilities and all that with my son, the actual combinations. He's like, well, how many models can you make out of this? And I'm like, Ugh, let me do the math. So I got to over 1,200 combinations, and then I, I just lost it. I was like, ah, oh, I, I can't do any further than this. But there's at least 1,200 combinations you can do in creating your own models of brutality. And I don't mean for this to turn into the Pimpcron Brutality podcast. I apologize for that. But this week and probably next week is going to be me and the Beastman covering the all new upgrades that are only available in the hardcover back, the hardback book, or the PDF. You can buy the PDF as well, and um, hopefully, at least some of you will support my lifelong dream of having a published game. And if not, you know, well, fuck you. No, I'm kidding. It's, it's, I'm just kidding. Um, but you know, just uh, hang in there, and let's go into the next section. Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. And this is another segment of the Tesseract Mailbox. And today we have a letter from a listener named Andrew. He says, Hi, Pimpcron. When did you become the Necron Nostradamus? <laughs> Your Necron-themed Shorehammer this year, coinciding with Necrons in the new edition of 40k, are you a psyker? The Highlander event limits how many command points are spent in a turn. Now the new rules leaks added a command phase. The command phase is a... And this is a quote. The command phase is a quick new addition to the turn sequence. In this phase, Battleforged armies will acquire new command points and spend the ones they have on certain stratagems. You must have seen the future or are a secret playtester. What do you think about the new Scorpec Destroyer models? Some don't like the tripod legs, but I'm okay with them. Andrew. Well, thank you for writing, Andrew. I greatly appreciate you listening to the show. And, uh... I apparently am Nostradamus. <laughs> now I'm going to write a very long book full of extremely vague prophecies about, you know, stuff that's going to maybe happen in the future, but it's going to be really, really up to interpretation. So hopefully multiple times in the future, something bad will happen and they'll be like, look, look, the Pimpcronodonis, Damus. Uh, pointed to this, and this is what he said, and then people are gonna, you know, I'll be on those black and white tabloids, the, uh, Weekly World News is what I'll be on, and, um, Pimpcronodamus, and, uh, anyway, so, yeah, that's just co coincidence, I have no idea, the first Shorehammer was just the regular logo, second one was Orcs, third one was, uh, Chaos, the four Chaos Gods, and fourth one was the uh, Tyranids. And this year just happened to be Necrons. So I, I don't know. I've got no answer for you there, Andrew. But I appreciate you uh, thinking so highly of me at least. <laughs> it's just really good timing. I don't usually have good timing like that. I don't, I don't, I can't say what caused it, but uh, maybe it was just a feeling in my bones is what it was. And maybe think about this. Maybe I'm not looking into the future, GW is just copying off me, which I swear to God, they have done several times. I mean, they probably haven't, but it really, the evidence seems like they really do listen to what I say. Um, I have an article from years ago where I had several suggestions for changing, it was either 6th or 7th edition, and then a lot of those things were implemented in 8th edition. And I was like, oh, okay. And I made a fan codex for Gene Stealer Cults before Gene Stealer Cults had a codex, and then a lot of the stuff 
they have in the codex is things that I had, like deep striking ambushers, and um, uh, even I had a motorcycle. Now, mine was more of like a motorcycle gang. They weren't dirt bikes or ATVs, but I had a motorcycle gang in my um, my Gene Stealer cult, Fandex, and uh, then they come out with dirt bikes and all that. Now, admittedly, that there's no way they could have copied off that. I didn't have it posted online or anything like that. It's just that great minds think alike, as I think is what that is. But, um, so as far as the Scorpec models, I absolutely am in love with them. I love, I've always loved the aesthetic of the Triarch Stalker with the spider legs. Um, I actually, my, my dynasty is called the Spidrek Dynasty because I've always liked, uh, spiders and, uh, Spider-Man and all that. So I've always liked spiders. And, um, so the Spider. No, what are they? Scorpec. The Scorpec guys, the destroyers, look freaking awesome. And as well as all the other stuff, the the guys with blades for arms and the... I don't even know what the names for all of them are, but I, I really, really do like the aesthetic of everything they've done for the new Necron stuff, and I will definitely be getting two boxes of the starter set, for sure. Now, you wrote this to me about two weeks ago, so a lot more has come out since you wrote in. But, um... And, and, you know, as far as the command point goes, the command points being limited each turn. I mean, that's a no-duh. I was doing it before Age of Sigmar 2.0. So um, I feel like limiting command points per turn is an awesome way to cut out on all that first turn bullshit. You know, they're like, oh, well, I'm going to spend 17 command points in the first game turn. I'm like, oh, okay, that's fine. So all my all my units are just godly now. Uh but anyway, so that is essentially my take on the Scorpec units and my clairvoyance. And I appreciate you writing in, Andrew, and I hope to see you. You know, Andrew is a two-time two-time winner of Shorthammer Highlander tournament. Now, I mean, that's that's literally unheard of, except for Mr. Andrew. Um, so he is our reigning champion out of, what, four Shorehammers? He has won two of them. <laughs> our, our headlining tournament, he is the champion. He's got two belts at home. We give away a, a 52-inch leather uh, championship belt with our logo and all that stuff on it. So he's got two logo, uh, two leather belts somewhere at home. I, I can only hope they're over your mantle or something, Andrew. I've never asked you when I see you to, to know where these belts are, but they better be somewhere prominent on your the grill of your car or something so that everybody knows that you are the king of Highlander. So that is it. Thanks for writing in and thanks for listening. Uh, you can reach me at uh, pimpcron at gmail.com, which is where this letter came from, or uh, facebook.com slash pimpcron, or you can send me carrier pigeon. You can uh, actually don't knock on my door, but you can, <laughs> if you see me at the grocery store, you can ask me something. Uh, there's, there's many ways, you know, you could call the damn phone number. Nobody ever calls. That's what you need to do. Call the phone number. Anyway, that's the end of this segment. Hi, the dishwasher's acting up again. Not again. I guess I'll have to work on it. No, not this time. My friend Janice just told me that joining the Pimpcron Dynasty on Patreon fixed her hot water heater in only 30 minutes. Simply go to Patreon and pledge money to the almighty Cron, and all your plumbing troubles will disappear. Pledge to Pimpcron when you're at your home, but if it's plumbing trouble, then you're on your own. Support the Pimpcron! Now it's time for Real Talk with Pimpcron. Hey everybody, it's Real Talk with the Pimpcron, and today I am joined by my buddy, uh, Goatman. Right? No, 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 Beastman, Beastman. Beastman, yeah. although I don't take that as an insult, because I raise goats, and I love goats, <laughs> so you can call me Goatman. Right, well, Beastman is officially your moniker. So is, that is official at this point, yes. All right, so if you'll just ignore my constant phone dinging, we wanted to cover all the new stuff that's in the newest edition of Brutality, which is going to be on sale very soon, and I'm very, very excited. Aren't you... Beastman. Oh, man, I can't wait. There's some really cool stuff in here I can't wait to try out. Well, um, we will get into that right now. We wanted to start with the melee units, and the basic melee, the gist of it is how it's different from other units, is that it gets an extra attack, which is, surprisingly, one extra attack is a huge deal in this game, because you can be 
murdered. <laughs> like one bad assault or actually one very good assault and you can murder someone. So Oh yeah, if you figure if you're usually only getting two attacks and then you get three, then I mean there's a what a thirty three percent higher odds of, of getting a getting a wound off, right? Yeah, and saves aren't very good because it's intentionally brutal. And most models only have three hit points. Right. So three a uh, three hits if you land hits on those attacks. I mean that's that potentially is a death sentence. Right. I mean, I'm not very good at math, but pretty sure I nailed that one. <laughs> so uh, that's basically what the basic melee is. But the first upgrade on the list is Berserker, which used to be in the old edition as well, but it's different now. So it gets plus two to the wound chart rolls, which helps you never like you know crap out on your wound chart rolls and it also the big deal with it is is he gets an extra attack for every enemy within six inches in the melee phase so um can you think of any ways that would be interesting oh man i absolutely love this one this is great i mean my first thought is uh having a support guy teleport your berserker into the middle of a bunch of (laughs) melee and just having him swing (laughs) swing swing again like go to go to town right (laughs) here's my six attacks get away from me yeah yeah, I mean, if you can get four attacks on someone, even if there's just one person nearby while you're in melee, getting four attacks on the charge is a very good chance of a death sentence right. on most models. And then the plus two to wound chart rolls, then you're looking at yeah, failure's not an option on the wound chart, right? Yeah, because a, a one is the only failure. So if you get plus two, then you're looking at least a three. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I love, I love the Berserker trait. Now, uh, the next one is Cavalry. The gist of this one, I'm not going to go into every single one of the little stat differences, um, just for brevity, but like the Berserker also gets an extra dexterity, making him harder to be shot, but I'm just not going to get into that for every single upgrade. But the Cavalry, their big thing here is that, you know, they're obviously supposed to be on something mounted, like a motorcycle or a horse or something. Right. And um, they get an extra movement, so they move eight inches, which is pretty decent, and they get an extra hit point because they're expected to be on something right um like other games like warhammer and all that does that for cavalry and motorcycles something to something to flank and get out there and maybe grab an objective early yeah and what's nice about this is is that melee units are already the best at melee obviously and giving it an extra two inches makes it much easier to get in close combat not to mention you could if you wanted to give it an extra four inches of movement if you want to put all your points into movement. Right. Now you're looking at a foot right off the, without any buffs, a foot yeah. right off the bat. And you can charge up to 10 inches. So. And we're not talking about a large board of, of gameplay here. It's right? three foot by three foot. So, I mean, yeah. So there's, a again, a third of your, I'm good at math, apparently. There's another 33%. <laughs> there's a third of your board right there. Yeah. So that's it's really good. Now, the only drawback is it, it, it can't uh, climb up or down because you're supposed to be mounted on something. But the easy workaround for that is give it the free model trait of flight and then it doesn't give a shit. Right. So makes sense. Yeah. So the next upgrade we've got here on the list is fighter. And what would be the, the main uh, gimmick behind the fighter upgrade, uh, Beastman? So the fighter, he gets to attack first. He When he's in melee, he doesn't have to wait and get punched first and attack back. He's getting to get his attacks off first. Hopefully, if you're lucky, uh, kill what's around you or at least uh, whittle it down. Uh, maybe maybe some wound rolls, you know, you uh, yep. they're, uh, they're bleeding or they can't see or they're... Uh, you know, something like that. They got a broken, broken bones. Yeah. So, so then, when they do attack back, it's not as good. Yeah, and and normally in, in melee, models fight at the same time. But this fighter is like, I don't care if you charged me. I don't care if I charged you. I'm always striking first and dealing everything first, which is a huge deal. Um, a minor thing is that he also gets plus two movement, but that's the the main gimmick is strike striking first. Right. So uh, what's the next unit there, Beastman? So next we've got the Breacher, and man, this guy's got a five-up save. So that doesn't sound like much for Warhammer players if you're used to Warhammer. A 50% save, one through five, on a D10 is like, so? Like, it's average. Mm -hmm. No, in in Brutality, even these upgraded people only have a save of 30%. An unupgraded person has a save of 20%. So having a 50% save before you add any more modifiers for cover or spells or model traits, you can easily make it a maxed out save of 80% if you try even a little bit. 
<laughs> right yeah as the game as the title says it's pretty it's brutality it's brutal so uh yeah five up right off the bat is really good and then if you can buff it man you're looking at somebody who's really got staying power yeah and he's a little safer from range too because he gets an extra dexterity so um he's 10 percent harder to hit with ranged attacks so that is the breacher and he is always one of the first upgrades that new players go for is the breacher oh shit you know yeah. i can make this save really good right i can see that yeah all right, so what is the next one, Beastman? All right, so now we're looking at the Zealot. The Zealot gets a time slip token, and what that means is that um, if you have an unsuccessful roll, whether it's a save um, or anything you could think of in the game, you could just say, you know what? I'm going to pass. It's an auto success. You don't even have to re-roll for it. Yeah, so um, they start with one auto uh, time slip at the beginning of turn one and turn two. But then they start with two time slips in the beginning of three and four. Which is just, I mean, you could really turn the tide in a game real quick. You know, every game has that kind of turning point. Mm-hmm. And if you can just uh, kind of say, well, wait a second, uh, that didn't go well. Let me <laughs> let me do it again, or, or it just auto-passes, but you can do it twice? Yeah. that That's a game changer. Now, this is one of those um, upgrades that is more subtle, and a lot of the new players are like, I don't I don't understand. That, that's two time slips. Who cares? Right. But that makes you hella durable, and the idea behind the Zealot was to make them uh, kind of rage out. Mm-hmm. They get better and better as the game goes on. Right. Kind of like the Hulk or whatever. Right. So those time slip tokens, it's just meaning that where they would have failed you choose i pass instead right they're kind of saving up their their anger and then yeah getting to auto pass i mean that's to me that yeah as a player who's played more and more and more at the beginning i didn't even i probably couldn't even remember what it was Mm -hmm. just trying to remember the rules but now as a more experienced player that really um seems useful yeah (laughs) yeah it's it's one of the ones with more nuance to it now the next upgrade is one of my all-time favorites. This is a brand new one. Actually, the Zealot was too. But this is a brand new one that is only in this hardback book. It's not even in the free rolls or anything. And this is the Rampager. So what does the Rampager do, Beast Man? <laughs> I, I'm with you. I love the Rampager. So first off, you're looking at enemy models getting minus one to their save Mm -hmm. which is helpful but that's just a little appetizer really because the (laughs) (laughs) the important part is that when he gets into combat if he deals more unsaved damage than he takes then after that resolves he can immediately move six inches and if he comes within base contact of another enemy model he gets to punch them in the face too i mean this guy just keeps he just keeps fighting well he's on a rampage (laughs) yeah there you go quite literally um one of the things that a lot of people don't think about though is that you don't have to get into base contact with someone after this this rampage move you could just hide in cover or something like right you know if they've got a ranged person that's looking at you a lot Mm -hmm. of times after like a charge you'll you'll be you're kind of standing out in the open and you're you know available to be shot. right it's it's that it's that age-old calculated risk of, of, of getting that melee guy out there and kind of taking care of business but even if he's successful then you're kind of naked in the wind uh, <laughs> and it's like oh now am i going to survive this this yeah. uh, this ranged attack that's going to be coming my way just kind of standing out there so i mean yeah it's it's there's a lot you could you could do with this uh, ability now, um, it, it's an extra mobility, really. You know, like melee people, the fast unit is meant for mobility. Right. Melee, not as much, but right. this makes him much more mobile. Yeah, he's. He can move his six inches, if even if you didn't upgrade it. He can move his six inches, then he can charge up to ten inches, and then he can move six more. Right, and all and all the types of like tabletop games I've played, uh, there's not a whole lot better than a than a, um, a melee monster that's also got mobility. I mean, it's yeah, it's huge. Yeah. So mm. if if used well. Right. Um, now, this last one that is also just in the hardback book and not in the free rules is the Brute. And this is another one of my favorites. I don't know if you've actually seen this one used or not, but um, the Brute, the whole deal is similar to the Rampager. If he deals more unsaved damage in melee than his opponent deals to him, he can then throw the opponent. <laughs> <laughs> now, my only question about this is, can I actually throw my opponent or their models across the table <laughs> yes you you can actually flick you're only allowed to flick the model but okay yes you can flick it all right um so after the <laughs> after the fight resolves if you deal more unsaved damage than you take you can choose to move the enemy model six inches in any direction so like at first you're like okay well that's kind of weird well number one when you finish a model's movement you choose which way it faces 
Okay. So you could line, you could throw them right in front of your ranged person with their back towards your ranged person, giving them plus two to hit him. Because now you're in their rear arc. Yep. Okay. So yeah. not only do you de- determine which way they face when they land, but also if they run into a vertical terrain feature, they take a wound chart, a crushing wound chart roll with no saves, which could be another damage. Right. It could be confusion. It could be a bunch of stuff. Or. If you throw them off a ledge, they still take falling damage. Okay. Which is another crushing wound chart roll with no saves. Jeez. And then if you throw him into another model, any model, your right. own or whatever, um, they you wouldn't want to throw him into your own. But um, if he hits another model, then they both take a wound chart roll with no saves. Yeah, so. there's so much fun you could have with this. And uh, it's one of those things, too, that you, you don't know you want it in games you've played in the past. Yeah. Until you look at how they look at how this works out, and you're like, why? Why doesn't this exist in other games? It's it's thematic. It makes sense. It's a cool interaction. It adds another layer to the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but you don't see this in 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 other miniature games for the most part. Uh, you know, a lot of games don't like you to move other people's models. Right. Like Games Workshop years ago had that. Like um, there was the lash. Either Corner or Slanesh had this. The Demon Prince had this lash, and you could whip people and pull them six inches or whatever towards you. It's or, like Scorpion. Get over here. Yes. <laughs> and that was really helpful. <laughs> right. But, but they've gotten rid of all of that. Interesting. Now. I um, think I've only dabbled with Kill Team slightly and, and didn't stick with it. I think there is. I think that is part of the Kill Team rules. But I, um, yeah, I don't know for sure. I'm not knowledgeable enough on Kill team to know but either way it is one of those things that you don't see a whole lot of that you gotta wonder why yeah yeah and it's it's super thematic you you beat the shit out of somebody in melee and you grab him by the shirt and you chuck him off a ledge or you throw him into his buddy all right or how many like cool superhero movies and, and comic books have you read that where where the the good guy beats up a crew of baddies and they you know they throw them into each other you know yeah. ninja turtles or whatever it's like why isn't that on the tabletop also, there's synergy there, too, because if you took the Saboteur, which is an upgrade for fast, where he's got those sabotage points, right. throw him into a sabotage point and set it off. <laughs> <laughs> Diabolical. <laughs> yeah, yeah. there's a lot of things you could do with it. So uh, so that's the end of the melee section, and um, I think that's where we're going to stop for this segment. We'll hit the uh, fast next time, but thanks for listening, and thanks for being on, uh, Beastman. Oh, yeah, I loved it. Hey, we are back with the fast... Um, units for brutality me and the beast man and um the basic fast units are arguably meant for objective capping because they're faster than melee they're moderately good in melee but they don't get as many attacks as the melee units they're um they're 10 percent better to hit they're 10 percent harder to shoot and they get two more inches naturally of movement right but they're just not you know melee is good at melee fast is very mobile obviously So you're looking more like an objective grabber. Absolutely. Right. And they're harder to be shot, which is nice, too. Mm -hmm. So um, what's the first upgrade for fast? Uh, We got beast. Uh, Now, this guy's looking at a 10-inch movement without any kind of buffs at all. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, he's getting there. If you you charge with him, you're getting more movement, obviously. And he re-rolls run and charge rolls. Yeah. So, I mean, the odds of you going pretty far are really good. So not only is um, your your run roll is limited by your movement, so he naturally starts with 10, even if you don't upgrade it. So when you roll that D10 for your run, you can get the maximum 10. And then if you don't like it, you just re-roll it. Right. So, it's You get two chances to do it, and it's already really good. So even if you don't roll, even if you just roll average, mm-hmm. there's a decent chance you're going to get 15 inches off. Yeah. I mean... Now, another thing that's crazy about this model is he's very hard to be shot because he's got a dexterity of 7, which means that ranged attackers, if they're not aiming, they only have a 30% chance to shoot him, which is pretty amazing, actually. Right. Um, I mean, you figure if you're going to get him out there running around, uh, you're going to like the... You're going to like that he can't be shot at... Or that he can only be shot at a low probability. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's before any upgrades. So you could make him dexterity eight, or if you wanted, or you could make him move fourteen for crying out loud. I mean, <laughs> right. And again, you're only talking about a three by three board. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, fifteen again, statistically average uh, charge roll of five, um, twenty inches, and yeah, yeah, you're more than halfway across the board. And you'd be re-rolling that charge roll. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's a pretty good chance if you want him to get to an objective or a model, 
you really want it, you're going to get it. Yeah, because you have to stay at least two inches away from people if you're not currently in melee. So there's always a chance of rolling a one for a charge, mm-hmm. but he can just re-roll it. So how many times are you disappointed? I played a solo game earlier, and I was like, oh, I'm going to I'm gonna get this guy. I'm going to kill him, roll a one. I'm like, shit. <laughs> yeah, and it's all that, all the best uh, raw plans or whatever. Yeah, but if yeah. you get that chance to, to give it another go. <laughs> so um, after that, we have the ambusher, which is everyone's favorite. Everyone always loves the ambusher. And essentially, what does the ambusher do, Beastman? So you're just looking at that whole alpha strike deal. Um, he can, uh, you can pick him up, place him anywhere on the table, four inches from an enemy model. Yeah. So which uh, you figure, it's not like he's nine, ten inches away. Four inches, you've got a pretty good chance of getting in there. Now you don't get another move action. You you go right to the action phase. But then you only have a four inch charge, like right? If you're, yeah. Well, I mean, so your odds you're looking at on a D10, you're looking at a forty percent, a sixty percent. Excuse me. No, I said I said earlier my math was bad, and now I'm now I'm right. So you've got a sixty percent. You've got just over a coin flip chance of of getting there. So yeah. Another thing people like to do is give the ambusher um, uh, a power or two. So uh, our old our friend Matt. Uh, what he would like to do, he had this one specific plague marine that had this uh, this grenade, this smoke grenade. Right. And his favorite thing to do was make him an ambusher mm-hmm. and buff up his willpower a little bit so it's it's more guaranteed to get the power off. But um, and he would confuse everybody because you can the power <laughs> of confusion or um, it's called a disrupt. Right. Because you can either pause people or confuse everyone within four inches. So you can you can draw or I think it's. Yeah, within four inches. And you can deep strike this guy four inches or more from enemies. Right. So you can, <laughs> if you get exactly four inches in the center of all the enemies, you just confuse everybody. <laughs> <laughs> What's happening? Yeah. So that's uh, a famously in one of our campaigns, uh, Matt did that. I was like, oh, my God. It's like, perfect. Yeah, four people are confused now. <laughs> awesome. So... <laughs> um, so that's that's the ambusher. Also, a big deal with the ambusher is that he gets an extra save. So he's got a save of forty percent right out of the gate, which you could easily make sixty percent. Um, and and that's just, I mean, most of the upgraded uh, classes only have a save of thirty percent. So having forty is pretty good. Right. Again, you're you're looking at a guy with a lot of movement, and the whole idea is getting him out there. But you know that that open that makes you vulnerable. Mm-hmm. But if you know you get a little bit of extra uh, save, then you kind of. Um, it's not as much of a calculated risk. It makes a, makes your odds of, of, of staying alive a little bit better. Also, you can easily get plus one or plus two for your cover save. So, And not to mention protect is plus two to your save. Right. So you can, I mean, saves start out crappy, but if you make good decisions and planning, mm-hmm. then you can really boost it up pretty quickly. Right. Um, so the next upgrade is, a, is one of my personal favorites. I think of this as like a ninja or Spider-Man or mm-hmm. Daredevil or... You know, Jackie Chan. <laughs> Tiger King or... <laughs> yeah, Tiger King. <laughs> it's the assassin, right? And the cool thing about the assassin is it automatically gets flight slash agile. So that means that you're not spending any of your faction... I mean, your model traits on gaining flight. Um, and it's called an assassin for obvious reasons. He, they're supposed to be super mobile. So in, in other words, they... Um, I mean, if they don't physically fly then they're jumping and leaping and climbing easily and, and not being impeded at all by vertical right. distances. And um, the really cool thing is is that it automatically gets the aura ability, which is a power normally, but it gets the aura ability applied to it at all times. So what that means is, is as soon as you get in base contact with an enemy, whether they charge you or you charge them, before any blows are struck at all, you roll two wound chart rolls and they get no saves. So if you roll a 10 on that, that's just a damage, a flat-out damage. Right, before you've even attacked. You've yeah. already dealt a damage, yeah. Or otherwise, you could be you know, um, doing arm wounds to reduce their fighting skill, or you could be giving them bleeding, or, or a million, you could disarm them. Which right. That's happened before. You disarm, your wound chart roll disarms the enemy, and then they're not getting wound chart rolls on you for that melee. Because you disarm them before they can fight, which is which is perfect. I mean, I, I envision those uh, those action movies and things where yeah, the guy sneaks up and come up from behind and put him in the chokehold and yeah. knock the gun out of their hand or whatever, <laughs> and then take them out. Yeah, it's it's uh, I think that's like really cool thematic interaction. 
Yeah, and and I love I love the assassin. Like I said, Spider Man, Daredevil, Bruce Lee, uh, a ninja, like, right? Just those really that stereotypical. Yeah, yeah. And I like it because it's like I always feel like their their fists are flying so fast that before any blows are even struck, they're already like pummeling you, right? You know? Like Shang Chi. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Iron Fist, or uh, so. What's the next one? All right, so now we're talking about the Scout. The Scout can really get out there. Uh, he's got a movement of eight. And, well, he can move before the first turn even happens. Yeah. So you can just, all right, everybody's deployed. I'm going to move my guy eight. And so, then, Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't yeah. mean to cut you off. I was just saying that, you know, the deployment is already 10 inches. So you deploy him 10 inches out if you wanted. Right. And then you just move him eight more. So you're over halfway across yeah. the board. So or actually, you are halfway. Yeah. Over halfway. Yeah. Um, so 18 inches on the first turn if you didn't add anything to his movement. And then he gets to move when he activates. Right. If, so if you're going first, I mean, you're possibly looking at, so like you said, you're 10 inches out. You move him eight. That's 18 across the board. Yeah. If you if you get to go first and you choose to have him go first, you move him eight more. And now you charge 10 inches. <laughs> <laughs> you're literally in the opponent's edge back edge like immediately if your if your dice roll is lucky enough yeah but what's the other half before i cut you off what's the other half of his awesomeness oh so you're also looking at pretty much a plus one to all his uh stats um if he's on or in a terrain feature yeah so it's like if you if you can kind of strategically move him in a manner that uh that, that that happens then you're looking at that plus one as well so uh yeah, yeah. This, this guy can really really get out there so I always think of like Rambo or somebody that's like, like if they're in cover in the terrain, they're right. badass. <laughs> right. It's like yeah, behind enemy lines, you're crawling under the trip wires yep. and avoiding the booby traps and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. And not to mention, he's got a save of three naturally. Well, almost all of his stats go up by one when he's on or in a train feature. So now his save is four. And then you're not talking about cover yet. So if mm-hmm. you've got cover plus one plus two, he could be you know possibly, five or six, possibly six. Yeah. So now you're looking at sixty percent chance of uh, of saves. Yep. Yeah, and that's before any model traits are given to him. The free model traits. So I mean, you could have buffed up his save to begin with. Right. Plus, so. and all this talk about Rambo's got me wanting to build a war band that's exclusively movie characters of Sly Stallone. Yeah. <laughs> the the Stalloneverse. Yes. Rocky. Yeah, uh, Rocky and uh, I don't I forget Rambo, what yeah, Rambo, Judge Dredd. Oh yeah, he was Judge Dredd. I forgot that. I don't know what else. Those are the three I, I can think else, of. But there's but, three right there. Well, he was in the um, Expendables, right? Yeah. Expendables. So whatever that character that was, guy. Yeah, that guy. <laughs> that guy. Give him a break. Oh, uh, um, uh, Demolition Man. Demolition Man. Yes. <laughs> Demolition Man. Have a little Wesley. Awesome. Have a Wesley Snipes model in there. Yes. I love it. Um, <laughs> that was one of my favorite roles of Wesley Snipes ever. Like oh, I like yeah. Blade, but he's good in that. Yeah, Demolition Man, he's great in that. Um. Anyway, so back back <laughs> on topic. Now that we're done gushing over uh, <laughs> this slide, um, the next one is the Skirmisher, and this one is a fan favorite. Our local guy Derek loves the Skirmisher, and at first it's kind of like on. This is another one of those subtle ones. That, right. the The text is so short, you're like, eh. But then once you stop to think about it, so he runs for free as a free action. Which you're like, okay, fine, running doesn't help much. Well, wait a second. His movement is 8 inches to begin with, and so that means you can move 8 inches plus, uh, well, your run is maxed out at 8 because it's maxed out by your movement. But uh, assuming 8 inches and then potentially another 8 inches in the run... And then you charged 10 inches, potentially. I mean, you could... Even if you just rolled statistically average and got 4... You're looking at, if you put him 10 inches, again, deployment's 10 inches, he's 10 inches out. He yeah. moves 8, and then you get 4. Now you're looking at 22 inches already, easily. <laughs> and again, 3-foot board, you're already 2 thirds across the board. Yeah. And, I mean, now, another thing interesting about the Skirmisher is he's got a 7 for a fighting skill, which is a 70% chance to hit in close combat. Yeah, I love this. Before any bonuses, before any modifiers. So, he is... Uh, one of the best, if not the best, at fighting skill in right. the whole game. I mean, you figure, like you said, if you buff him, even just you know one to eighty, you, your uh, your chance of failing is going way down. I mean, you're you're hitting. Yeah, 
and and I, I really like the skirmisher. Super, super mobile. I mean, mm-hmm. the ambusher's mobile because they can be anywhere on the first turn, but this guy is just so mobile. Right. To run around to the back arc before charging someone or, or whatever. Right. It's, it's, I mean, a guy, yeah, a, a guy this mobile and... Who can? Who's got such a high odds of uh, of hitting? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, this guy's dangerous. Absolutely, and like you said, though, it's just a short sentence. It's like running is a free action. Uh, okay, <laughs> like, right. It it's it's underwhelming <laughs> when you first read it, but then once you think about the possibilities and pair it up with his fighting skill, yeah. Oh yeah, love this guy. So the second to last one here is another one of my favorites. It's a new one. No one has uh, played before except for our playtest people like you, Beastman. Right. Uh, is the Saboteur. And I love him because, number one, he gets an extra hit point. Because I always feel like people that mess with bombs or traps, they probably have, like, padding <laughs> right. or whatever on them. Definitely. And um, this guy, exactly what he does is he does set traps before the first game turn, but after deployment. So um, this is after you know where the enemies already are. But before the first game turn starts, you each saboteur can place two three-quarter inch tokens, which the official brutality tokens we sell are three-quarter inches. Why? That's the reason. Right. Um, but if you made your own tokens, they got to be three-quarter inches in diameter. And uh, you face them face. You put them face down. They have to either be a pause, confusion, or agony token. And uh, your opponent doesn't know what they are, but it's slightly irrelevant because they know where they are. Right. They know it's a bomb there. And. Uh, the way this works is that I place them wherever I want on the battlefield, not within four inches of an enemy model. If for any reason during the game an enemy model is moved within four inches of one of these, all enemy models within six inches lose a hit point with no saves as it detonates. Right. And they get whatever effect was under the token, paused or confused or whatever. So if you wanted, let's say you've got Mr. Freeze is a saboteur on your team. Right. right. You would do pause like it's a freeze bomb. Yeah, you know? freeze them in place, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, or, you know, or it could be vines. If you Let's just keep with the Batman villains and do Poison Ivy. You know, she's got like this plant here. And this gives you a really good opportunity to make your own little... Um, tokens. Like, tokens. Yeah, you know? love it. Um, or if you're like, a, let's just say you're a necromancer for crying out loud, right? Mm-hmm. Then what you would do is have like hands coming out of the ground on this three-quarter yeah, inch token. like the undead yeah. raising up from yeah. the ground. Yeah. So, um, so it just, it, it's a really neat opportunity, but the biggest thing here and what we found in our games is it's board control because each token is almost an inch in diameter. Then it's four inches on each side. So that's nine inch board control where, I mean, your opponent can just avoid them, but board control in this game and mobility is a huge deal. Right. So, um, ideally like it, let's just say you deploy all your people and you're ready to go up to the objectives on the first turn before the first turn. I place down two tokens that are eight inches apart. So each token takes up nine inches, right? Mm-hmm. And then their radius is touching the other token, which is nine inches. Right. That's 18 inches out of 36. So now, yeah, especially if you place them, really do, do a good job placing them in a central location, you're, you're, you're creating that big bubble of control in, in the middle of the board. You're really messing with your opponent's strategy. Yeah. When, when we play tested this, um, Man, I, I had a lot of fun. <laughs> had a lot of fun with that. I know you were kind of. I didn't really know exactly what I was doing because it was new, and you were kind of explaining it to me. So you kind of helped me kill you, yeah. but it was still a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, if I remember correctly, um, I was standing just on the edge of it because I was wise to avoid the bomb. Right. But then you charged me, and went after the combat. The the defender has to move backwards two inches, two inches to make yeah. up that two inches. And you pushed me into the radius of the bomb. Oh, it was great. It was like, I attacked you, and that went well, and then I knocked you back into the bombs, and you're like, I'm dead. What the hell? Yeah, yeah that was that was also the first game we tried the Locust, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. That's, a, that's another story. So um, the Saboteur, I think, has a lot of really good implications and uh, a lot of uses for it. Um, and especially like if you took two saboteurs, that'd be four tokens. Like that could God. get crazy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what's the what's the very last fast upgrade for us? So our last one is the dominant, mm-hmm. which is um, really cool in that he can gain two separate minion models. Mm-hmm. So basically, he can pop out these two guys with him, and they have their own stats. They're not dependent on the dominant model. They can move on their own. They can pray. They can scavenge. So they're extremely useful. And uh, you're also looking at the fact, you know, it's not a horde style game, mm-hmm. but 
in the in this particular instance, it's the closest thing to that kind of out activate your opponent or that activation chicken that we've mentioned before, yeah. where where you're just getting you're getting more than your opponent, which can be a big advantage. Sure, especially if your opponent's lost a model or something like that. That just exacerbates it. It makes it even worse. Um, not to mention, like these minions are not like beat sticks or anything like that right but they're not bad but they're not bad and they can prey and loot on objectives so you send off your your minions to go keep them in cover keep them out of line of sight and you go farm objectives while your better models go beat someone in the face right you know and you could tie up you could use it to tie up like a one of the opponents like dominant model Mm -hmm. that you're kind of scared of and have tie that model up for a little bit and then like you said go go do some other things with your with your better models not to mention when you, you tag that in with the fact that the experience that they earn goes to the dominant model and now you've got the ability to to gain more experience than you would normally with a model that doesn't have those uh those minion models yeah so like in a campaign is what he's talking about is when you gain experience um these minions are not treated like a normal model for experience purposes so anything they gain if if you had one of your minions let's say you've got two pet dogs for your model which which my campaign guy does he's got two plague dogs as right, his minions. zombie dogs yeah the zombie dogs <laughs> they they run over there and they're harvesting these points and he's just getting the experience and he can he could also loot other objectives or he could get into melee or protect somebody or whatever but he's free he can be getting the experience and he's free to do what he wants right you know and again there's always what makes a good game a lot of times too is there's that risk reward so you've got that but then the flip side is it, it can sometimes in a close game you do you do get kill points your opponent does get kill points for killing those minion models yeah so that can sometimes swing a game that's that's close but uh, you know that's just the the name of the game risk reward yeah and and that's actually it brings up a good point is that um you know game design is my legitimately my passion like it's it's not my day-to-day job but is is the thing that i actually think about laying in bed at night i think about it in the shower i think about it at work (laughs) i think about it every i just think about game design he's actually got a blow up doll (laughs) that i play board games with (laughs) (laughs) anyway uh so um, he completely derailed me. But the point is... Mission is accomplished. <laughs> you'll notice a lot of these things, like I said before, are very subtle abilities. You're like, well, I don't see how that's so great. But when you th- start thinking about the, the applications of them, you're like, oh, crap, a free run is really good, right. actually. And when you start stacking them. Yep. And, and yeah. so the whole thing is, the whole idea behind this game is that a lot of the abilities are subtly good. And if you use them well and you're a good strategist then you can get a lot of mileage out of them. But if you're not great at strategy, then <laughs> you're not going to use them as well. You know? Right. It's it, more on the player. Than- absolutely. There's there's definitely a strategic depth to it, and it definitely is the onus is on the player to to learn learn the uh, learn the rules and, and see how you can uh, stack those interactions and really make them work best for you. Yeah. And, um, and like you mentioned before, risk and reward is a huge thing in this game because... Um, just like, for instance, like you just mentioned, the minions, they can do all these things, the extra activations, the extra points they can earn and all that. But guess what? They're also potentially a liability if you don't use them well or if you get out strategized by your opponent because they do give up kill points. Right. So it's it's these things just like the sabotage markers, right? Mm-hmm. They're completely avoidable. If your opponent plays well, they will never go off. But if you can trick your opponent or take your rampager and freaking throw him into the mine, <laughs> right? Like, that's uh, that's pretty cool. I think. Yeah, I think it it gives you that opportunity for more uh, variation in your play style, but also in in your games from game to game. Mm-hmm. Your no game is going to play the same. Usually, you're going to have to find ways to to deal with an opponent's strategy, and each each time you play, it could be something a little different. Yeah, and not to mention all the customization and all that, like I said, making the tokens, if you wanted to make your own tokens for your saboteur, or like my minions or my little dogs, and you know, it's just, there's a lot of creativity possible. Yep, and that's one of my favorite things about the game is that it it gives you an opportunity to get creative, to get thematic, 
to to have a little fun with it you can you can get serious and really like oh you know get serious about this this war band you're making or you can just do something goofy and it, it's not a lot it's not like it, you've put in all this time and money oh mm-hmm. man i spent all this money on this on these models and i don't like the way and i create this war band i don't like the way they play well you yep. don't have to worry about that and um i've also mentioned this before is that games workshop and other games i'm not hating on games workshop i absolutely love their games but they put all of the heavy lifting on game balance in their points. Right. You know, upping or lowering points is the way they balance the game. Well, I intentionally made it very hard for myself from the get-go because every one of the upgrades that we have listed are all a point and a half. They're all... So the 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 heavy lifting is actually balancing each upgrade into being very different but equally viable. Right. So there is no bad choice. And um, I've worked very hard for what four years now to right. to try to balance these. It's like, yeah, inev- inevitably in games, there's 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 the the meta strategy or the strong strategies, and there's the ones that don't really see much play because yeah. they're not as they're seen as inferior or not as competitive or, or what have you. Whereas I think this, yeah, it's, you've balanced all of it enough that you could go any kind of way and be successful. Yeah, and um, and also your dice can shit on you too. So. Oh yeah, that happens all- when we play. That often happens, especially for me. I roll so bad. You, every time we play, you roll terrible. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I that's actually when I design things like that, I go, okay, well, the saboteur, right? Mm-hmm. I want him to, to be able to plant bombs. Okay, well, that's really powerful. What can I do to avoid it or counteract it? Right. And, and I, I intentionally try to give give and take where. You know, you got to be crafty and creative in what you do. Like you pushing me into the bomb. Okay, well, I was smart enough to avoid the bomb, but here you are, <laughs> smart enough to outflank me and then charge me and literally push, push me you into, into it. the bomb. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you know, you could have failed your charge. You could have done. I mean, there's a million things that could have happened. Right. So, um, and an- another thing I like is that this is very, very crucial. Very. Uh, I guess stringent strategy in this game because every decision matters a lot. But I think a hallmark of this, and this is the way I like to play games, is that you can't take it super serious because your models are likely, or your dice rolling rather, is just as likely to f you over as your opponent ever is. Right. So it's like you know, for- oh, I've got that two. I've got a two up to to charge. Up, oh, I rolled a one. Bullshit. Yeah. For all yeah, for all the strategy in the world, just it's still a game that involves dice. And anytime, anytime you roll the dice, it's there. You you might come up strong, or you might get unlucky. You just never know. Yeah, and it that kind of brings me back to um, back in Warhammer Fantasy, the orcs and goblins people. Mm-hmm. Their army was so random that you. This is what I've been told: is that you often would never find any highly competitive. Uh, orcs and goblins players because they just like to have fun and they like the randomness of it. Right. So that's kind of what I bred into this is that, hey, look, it's very strategic, but you can only take it so seriously because it's going to screw you over. Right. So (laughs) that's kind of like the new, um, the new gets and uh, squigs people, you know, it's, it's definitely that unique kind of, it's fun. It's goofy. Who knows what the hell's going to happen, but we'll enjoy the ride kind of deal. Yeah. So, um, and I think there's a lot more ways to skin a cat, you know, in this game, being able to just, hey, I could do it this way, I could do it that way. Right. And, you know. I mean, generally when I skin a cat, I just use a knife, but <laughs> I'd love, I'd model ears. Table for... saw. <laughs> <laughs> oh, off the rails again. Yeah. But anyway, thank you so much for being on, uh, Beastman. I appreciate it. And next week will be uh, the support classes and heavy classes. I mean, range classes. And if we get a chance, we might also just throw in the uniques, the monster, and the locusts if we get the time. All right. Sounds good. I look forward to it. Thank you very much for being on. I appreciate it. And thank you, everybody, for listening to us. And thank you for the Patreon sponsors. I will see you next week.